Um, I'm just going to jump right in, dive right in here. There's been so many prophetic words that have been coming out, uh, teachings, all kinds of things that have been broadcast and said and even sung about, about the next coming move of God. Whatever type of language you use to describe it, uh, basically that the Lord is you know, going to release harvest. You know, It's the next move of God. We certainly need it. God knows we need it. That's why he's bringing it. The challenge is, are we ready? A lot of people call this, you know, God releasing his fire. So there's a lot of teachings and things that have just come up over the last few years. If you've been following it about the fire of God, it's referred to as the spirit of burning in the scripture. It's also referred to as the spirit of judgment in the scripture. And it is... The spirit of the fear of the Lord is what it actually is. Um, it's pretty obvious in our present culture today, uh, we need the presence of the fear of the Lord. I don't have to describe hardly anything to any of you that are in this room and probably watching online about how far away from God's kingdom and God's truth the culture that we live in in this country has drifted, yet alone all over the world. It's happened. It's stuff that's happening today that, you know, 20 years ago was just unthought of, unthinkable that it would be happening. But it is happening. Part of it is God. Because he's exposing it. He's lifted off grace and mercy. And he's letting the real thing come out. And part of that reason for that is to wake us up. Um, even in the body of Christ today, there uh, is a f- tremendous lack of the fear of the Lord. Uh, and a lack of the understanding of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is something that needs to be taught, uh, but it's also something that is caught when you have a God encounter. You just want to make sure that you're on the right side of the God encounter (laughs) and not the wrong side. Because you might not live, and I'm very serious about that. You might not live um, if you're on the wrong side. And that's what we're looking at in our culture today. Uh, There are two um, people in the body of Christ, leaders, pastors, who've recently, I've just seen just this past week on uh, Facebook. Yeah, I do look at Facebook. Um, One of them basically made the comment uh, about how uh, we are free from the law. And we don't need the law at all whatsoever. That we're free to just walk with God. And uh, it's the root of the, what my wife calls the gracey grace message. It's the slippery grace (laughs) message that has no accountability in it at all whatsoever. The reality is, is we, we do not have to abide by the law in order to be justified before God. That's what the blood of Christ has done. But we do have to 
live by the law in order to walk out our sanctification, our continual setting apart, holiness unto the Lord in all of our behavior in order to be more and more like him so that he can entrust us to actually rule the planet like we're supposed to. Am I making sense? We have pastors that are in this city and all over the world, actually, especially in the West, that are uh, just openly embracing uh, kind of a new thought called inclusion, to where basically it's just you include anybody, no matter what they're doing, no matter how they're living, whatever. God loves all of his children. God loves everybody. And so everybody's to be included. Everybody's to be accepted. Everybody's to be affirmed. And we're just going to be happy and just be one together with one another and etc. Total lack of the fear of God. Total lack of honoring God and, and, and honoring his word. So we see in the book of Acts in chapter 5 a demonstration uh, of the presence of the fear of the Lord and what it was like. These two people named Ananias and Sapphira and we all know the story but put yourself in the story. Can you imagine this? We're in a meeting Sunday morning, okay? We're worshiping and praising the Lord, which is having the greatest time. People are giving in the offering. And then all of a sudden, one of the apostles stands up and has a word of knowledge that there's someone who has given wrongfully, lied to the Holy Spirit, And the Spirit of God strikes them dead right on the spot. In church. This is recorded in the book of Acts. Go back and read it. Chapter 5. We don't like it. We're scared to death of it being like that. But I got news for you. It is going that way. And you can go there if you want to. You can reject it if you want to. But I want all of it. I want all of it, and God wants us to have it. A few hours later, Ananias' wife comes in. Same thing happens to her. The word of the Lord comes forth. The apostle stands up and announces basically the death sentence. She drops dead. They take her out and bury the two of them together. And then Acts chapter 5 verse 11 says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard it. Well, I reckon so. How about that for a membership drive? And we want the fire of God? Yes. We want the presence of God in ever-increasing measure? Yes. We want to relive the New Testament church? Yes. So that means we have to embrace the spirit of the fear of the Lord. To where God moves in our midst in that way. Because there's great benefit to it. Switching over to the culture, so to speak, that we live in. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, is our place of, that I want to demonstrate, you know, where there's... Such a lack of the fear of the Lord. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly. Therefore the hearts of the sons of mankind among them are fully given to do evil. 
That is an understatement in our culture today. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, he thinks. Still, I know that it will go well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. But it will not go well for the evil person, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. So I want to try to address a topic that is from Genesis to Revelation in a reasonable amount of time. And so I've just been praying and believing God for the last couple of weeks as I've been tasked with this responsibility that it will be imparted into you by the presence of the Lord. Because that's the main way that it's going to grow. So I want to answer some questions this morning. What is the fear of God? Why do we need the fear of God? And how do we get the fear of God? Three real simple questions. And there's several scriptures that I want to point through. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the story that we're all familiar with. And Moses is up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. It's called Mount uh, or Anyway, it's another mountain and another passage of scripture we're going to look at. My mind leaves me at the moment. Um, as he's there, it's lightning and thunder and this, you know, this presence of God. And the, the people are you know, huddled together and they're afraid. And so Moses has the Ten Commandments. He comes down from the mountain. And in verse 19, it's Exodus 20. It says, Then the people said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. However, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him might remain with you so that you will not sin. All three questions are answered in this passage of Scripture right here. Moses challenges the, people, the children of Israel, do not be afraid. Then he tells them after that, that the fear of the Lord must remain upon you. The, both of these words for fear, do not be afraid, and the fear of the Lord, are exactly the same word in Hebrew. Believe it or not. It means terror. It means dread. It means fear. It means an awe that comes because you are afraid. It means reverence, but not the kind of reverence that our American Christianity has put upon the word. It's a reverence that the things of God are holy. And if you violate the holiness of God... The fact that he has set those things apart of which you are one of those. If you violate it, you will pay the price for it. Hence why they just had the Ten Commandments. In other words, this is the way you treat God. This is the way you treat people. If you violate it, there's a price. Because these things are holy before the Lord. They're set apart for the purposes of God. So the people said, we're afraid. They should be. 
In our American Christianity, we've kind of dumbed this down. If we could ask Uzzah, what was the deal? He's walking beside the ark. The ark starts slipping and falling. He reaches up to touch the ark to balance it. We get it all of the, what does that all mean? But God strikes him and he dies. To answer the question, did he, did Ananias, Sapphira, did they go to heaven? Yes, they went to heaven. They were covenant people. They were believers. Ananias, Sapphira were believers. And don't forget that Paul prayed for these guys in the New Testament. He prayed the fear of God on them. He said, I pray that the Lord would take them so that their soul would be saved. Because they were spreading error and they were going against the things of God. Now, this is the level of the fear of God that the early church walked in. This is an understanding of the fear of God that we have so completely lost in our culture of Christianity today that it makes it hard to hear things like this and to actually be able to relate to the scripture. We want this love side of God, which is the way that we understand love to be. And we don't want this other side of God, or either we classify it all as being over here in the Old Testament. You know, well, the early church didn't see it that way because the early church didn't have the Bible. They're the ones that wrote it. The New Testament the scriptures that are referred to all through the Bible, Jesus and all the apostles, all scriptures given by God, for it's profitable for teaching, reproof, those things. The scripture they're talking about is the Old Testament. That's the scripture. Does it still have application to us today? Absolutely. The apostles interpreted things out of the Old Testament time and time again and brought them through the cross into the New Testament. This is what it means. Brought it into the, through the cross into the New Testament. So you can't throw away the Old Testament. It's just as much a part of, of the wholeness of the presentation of the gospel. And in the Old Testament is a greater explanation and understanding of the presence of the fear of the Lord. In the New Testament, there's not as much, even though there is a lot, and I don't have time to get into it. It's presented in a way that's somewhat different than in the Old Testament. We're going to look at some of those things today. Moses told the children of Israel, do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you. God has come in order to test you. And in order that the fear of him might remain with you so that you will not sin. In other words, you won't break any of the Ten Commandments. Now, it's interesting, this word, that the fear of the Lord will remain with you, is a very interesting phrase in the Hebrew. It means that the fear of the Lord would be before your face. More literally, it means that the fear of the Lord would be before you in such a way that it would turn you to the fear of the Lord, to the Lord's face. In other words, that it would keep you from sin by, if you walk in the fear of the Lord, your heart and your face 
would be turned to stay on the Lord and it would keep you from sinning. This is why the Bible says over and over again, meditate on the word day and night. Keep the law ever in your heart and expressing it before the Lord. You read all through the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, and David's constantly praising God and thanking him for his word. We even sang about it this morning. That the word of the Lord endures forever. So that you will not sin. Step into the trap, in other words. Let me answer one of the why questions. I am skipping all the way down to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, in case I need Pam to follow me back there. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29 answers the one of the why questions. That there is, oh, this is the Lord speaking. Oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. See, this is the heart of God. God knows that you've, you've got to stay focused on Him. As long as you stay focused on Him, the, which means you're walking in the fear of the Lord. Hope you can get this. As you stay focused on Him, you're walking in the fear of the Lord. It will keep you from sin. And so God expresses it here in Deuteronomy chapter 5. He says, this is the heart that I wish was in them, that they would fear me and keep all of my commandments. If you walk in the fear of the Lord, you will keep all of his commandments. Because it will keep you away from sin. That it might be well with them and with their children forever. Because God wants to bless us. And he wants it to go well with us. And he wants to keep us from running over into the ditch all the time because we want to make decisions for ourselves, figure out what's the best for us, figure out what we think that he needs to do for us in order for him to be able to use us for the kingdom as opposed to just completely surrendering and just say, I'm okay, Lord, I'm in the, I'm in the car. No, um, Here's the keys. You have the keys. I'm getting out. I'm, I'm going to sit in the back seat. And you're totally surrendered. Focused on the Lord. So that it will be well with you. In reference to the church in Acts chapter 9 verse 31. It says, so the church throughout Judea... Galilee, Samaria enjoyed peace as it was being built up and as it continued in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it kept increasing. We want church growth. We want the church to increase. We, we have choices. We can either do it by man's methods and marketing methods and all kinds of different things like that. Some of that stuff is good, it's necessary, it's palatable in order to be able to be all things to all men to reach some. I understand that. But let me tell you something. We would not have enough chairs in this place and it would be more than standing room only if we had the presence of the Lord that would create such a, an atmosphere of the fear of God in this place. Because everything that goes along with the fear of the Lord 
would be something that would make it go well for you. And who doesn't want that? That's the kind of life. That's the fullness of the kingdom message, the fullness of the gospel message, so to speak. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Another one of the whys. Why we need to have the fear of the Lord. The conclusion when everything has been heard is this. Fear God and keep his commandments. You know, you ought to get in the scripture if you've got the computer capability or whatever. And just find out how many places it says this same phrase over and over again. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep us. It's over and over and over again. Why? Because the Lord knows what's best for us. It says, fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. He will bring every act to judgment. Every act. Do you know that every act in your life is under the judgment scrutiny of God? I know that you're born again. I know that you're filled with the Spirit. I know that you're covered by the blood of Jesus, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You're not having to pay the price for your sins, etc., etc. But the reality of it is, is every act of your life is still under the judgment scrutiny of God. For a reason. The word judge means to make a decision, to declare a verdict. It's real simple. It's not, in and of itself, it doesn't mean something good or something bad. God sits as judge, and he judges, let's say, for instance, the things of the world. He's constantly reigning his judgments. I get so tired of these people asking, is America under judgment? I'm like, America's never been without judgment. No country, no area, even no person has been without being under the judgment of God. He's constantly, his eyes are on you. And he's constantly surveying the motives of your heart and everything that's within you, it's all for your good. It's all for your well-being. Yeah. So we're going to see a little bit more of that in just a minute. But he sits as judge. And he is raining down his judgments in the earth in all kinds of forms and ways, which I don't have the time to be able to get into all of that. But they're everywhere, and it's for a purpose. It's in order to bring people out of darkness into the light. It's in order to show his glory so that people's eyes can be open to see it. God's raining down his judgment upon believers. He's doing it this way. He sees you in your life. You're walking with the Lord. You know, you're following him. You're walking in the fear of the Lord and you're obeying his voice. What does he do? He makes a decision. He passes a verdict. Blessing comes. More grace comes. Anointing comes. The Spirit of the Lord comes in greater measure. That's God being a judge. See, we've got this goofy mentality about what that means. We need to get over it. 
I had to share for a whole year on judgment. In, in the past, in, in the church that I pastored, a whole year on judgment. So people could actually get it. Hopefully they really got it. <laughs> I mean, a year's a long time. God also scrutinizes your life. And he looks at your life and he sees, okay, you are wandering off over here. You're wandering off track. This is your road of destiny. And you've decided you want to do it your way. And so you wander off over here. It may seem like a very insignificant little thing to you. It may even be actually something that's not a sin. It may just be something that's not for you. It may be something that you're not able to do in faith and therefore it's considered to be sin. It may be something that will rob you and lead you to other things that will keep you from the destiny and the purpose of God for your life. And so God moves in with this thing called discipline. Now, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 to 7. I love this passage of scripture. It says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Let me read that again. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Who is the writer of the Hebrews talking to? He's talking to the believers. So what are they supposed to be doing? Well, I, I thought they were the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I thought that you know, Jesus had broken the power of sin over their life. I thought that they just needed to declare and confess and speak the word. No, that's not enough to deal with sin. You've got to hate it, despise it, be turned against it so much that you are willing to strive. This, this scripture right here says you haven't done it enough to the point of shedding blood, referring back to Jesus in the garden. That scientifically we know that it's literally possible for you to be under such stress in resisting and fighting something that you would literally, the blood would actually come out of the pores of your skin. God wants us to live that way. Don't hear too many messages on that, do we? <laughs> and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. We're all sons. He sons, she sons. Now, hey, listen to this. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Who does the Lord love? Everybody in this room, we could raise our hands. The Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, without getting a long explanation, this, for all of you parents, this is a model for how to discipline your children. Okay, so grandpa, y'all can just kind of set that aside and just follow me, okay? This word, reprove, says do not faint when you are reproved. It means conviction, a strong word of warning. It's like when you have your young child that is running up to or walking up to something uh, and they're about to grab something, say, 
the eye on a stove. Well, they're not telling us to do that, but like an electric socket or something like that to where, you know, they could get hurt. So as a parent, what do you do? Just stand there and, you know, what do you do? No! You know, what happens? They, they are just, they're, they're startled, you know, and they turn and, you know, walk away and, you know, or either they start crying. And what do you do? You go up to them and grab them and hug them and love them. You explain to them, you know, baby, you can't do that. You know, I'm looking out for you, you know, all this kind of thing. They don't understand what you're saying, but they do understand what no means. So hopefully they got it. Listen to this. Hopefully they got it. So that the next time they're walking up to something that's going to harm them or about to do something that's going to harm them, you know, they hear the word that comes from you. No. Not like, no. No, baby, don't do that. That's not going to get the job done. It's just not. It's no. Now let me tell you something. Let's put it over with God and us. The, to me, the Ten Commandments, let's just get real basic here. We've already seen that in the Scripture. The Ten Commandments out of Exodus chapter 20 are a big, huge, loud, no! You know, it's God saying, do not do this. You know, it's like, okay, and this is what we do. We're like, well, what does that really mean? You know, so this, this whole thing about the discipline of the Lord, you know, it's, you can see how God must feel when he's trying to deal with us as kids. He's watching us go through things in life and we're reaching out to touch something and God, boom, slaps us so or gives us a word of warning, challenges us right there on the spot. Conviction comes. Our reaction is all important at that point. And we will continue to do it. If we do, we'll go to stage two, which says, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. On the first one, about giving a word, it says, uh, don't, don't let your heart faint. In other words, become discouraged or disappointed. And so you ought, you ought to know this, is, this shows your growth of the Lord. When you're a brand new believer in the Lord and that kind of thing, especially if you have people that are leaders that speak into your life, you know, as, as I, I used to have. I mean, I, I had a past that was great. You know, one day I was, I was just doing something. I was completely generic, and I didn't have any idea of what was going on with the whole situation. You know, it was a, a relational type thing. And I was walking across the yard, and he stopped me. He put his finger, he's shorter than I was, put his finger up in my face. He said, don't you ever do that again. I'm like, what? And so then he explained it to me. And then he looked at me again and said, don't you ever do it again. Now, I was in training to be a leader. So here, here was the question. How was I going to react? Was I going to let my heart become disappointed or discouraged? Thinking, oh, man, he's he got all over me, you know, hurt my feelings, all that kind of thing. That's what it means. Don't let your heart faint when you're reproved. 
It's only have one another to keep one another encouraged. Step two, those, who lo- those for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. The word discipline means to cause one to learn by afflictions. To strike on the hand. That's the second lesson for the child. If they keep going after the wrong things, the no doesn't work anymore. Stop doesn't work anymore. Calling their name, their full name. You know, that was, that was the thing in my mom's house. <laughs> my nickname was uh, Buddy growing up. You know, stuff so saying, Buddy White! And I'm like, whoa, you know? What's that? But if you get to the point to where you don't hear it, so then what happens? This is how the Lord disciplines us. We don't hear it. We're still going off track. He moves in with affliction, strikes the hand. In other words, he starts touching things that you do with your hands. Work. Work. The things that we're involved with, how much stuff with our hands. Basically, the existence of life. God starts touching them. He's not up in heaven with a big stick. He doesn't need one. He uses the circumstances of life. He uses people around us. He uses ungodly bosses. I'll just let that one sit for a while. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of experience with that one myself through the years. Lord Jesus. Step two doesn't work. We move to step three. He scourges every son whom he receives. So here it is, the picture that the Lord is receiving. A son. Loving. Encouraging. The word scourging, though, means to whip and inflict. Whip. Whip. For those of you that didn't grow up in the deep south, let me tell you. You need to know what a whooping is. My dad... Knew how to whoop people. His sons. I'm the oldest of four boys. And all of you parents understand that the first one always gets it the most. Because you're learning on them. It's just how it is, you know. But you can't let up going down the line. Because that's why we have the third child rebellion thing. That's, you know, supposedly a part of our culture. Because the parents shift and they get off of it. This literally means to scourge with a whip. Some people used to call it going to the woodshed. You know, with me it was going to the bedroom. My father was calm. He uh, would just say, son, go to the bedroom. I, I was fully aware of what was happening. I'd go to the bedroom, and it would be a while, tormenting me. And I would hear him coming down the hall, and I would hear this noise. Y'all know that noise? That belt coming out. Son, drop your drawers. 
Now, he would explain to me what I did wrong, why it was wrong, that I didn't need to do it again. And sometimes I would think, well, this is great. You know, I'm not going to get spanking. <laughs> but no, I would always get a spanking. Because he loved me enough not to let me continue in my rebellion down a path that was keeping me off the right path. I don't know if you've ever been taken to the woodshed by the Lord, but um, at another time I could share with you plenty of stories myself. The Lord's taking me to the woodshed. It doesn't take too many experiences like that. I didn't have to go to the bedroom too many times with my father. I finally figured out, you know what? When he says don't do something, I am not going to do it. I am not going through this again. The pain was enough and I'm not going to put up with this again. I'm not going to try to wiggle my way out of it or anything like that. It's not going to happen. And that's the goal of God in doing this. Verse 10 explains to us why father disciplines us for our good so that we might share in his holiness God does it for our good now what I'm talking about here is the fear of the Lord see I had a healthy fear of my father my father was a very loving kind gentle man he was strong, um, you know, just, uh, I could just go on and on. He was, was a leader. He was, he, was just, he was a great person. And, uh, but he, he knew how to raise sons. I'll just put it that way. He had four of them. And we used to all sit around together talking about the benefits of how we grew up in our household in relation to what we were seeing going on in the world. Because he took us through this process. I watched him do my other brothers this way. First it was the no. Then if they didn't listen and continued in that, then it was he came in with a slap on the hand. As they were younger. If they didn't continue, they continued to go off and into their rebellion, then he came in with a whooping. <laughs> you know, a scourging. It's the same picture as the picture of God administering discipline to us. This is one of the reasons that he does sit as judge over the actions and the attitudes of our heart. Because, as the scripture says, he does it for our good that we may share in his holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 says... Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In other words, you do it. As the Lord shows you things, as he speaks the word of warning to you, as a revelation about something comes to you, you take it upon yourself, get the cleansing done. Get it out of your life. Take care of it. Don't make excuses. Or you'll be moved to step two. And if you keep going to step three.
I see this is going over. Great. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, God's always in you, speaking to you, showing you, bringing conviction upon you, bringing other people into your life, speaking to you through the word and every kind of way you can think of in order to help you walk on the road of righteousness, to help you walk on the road of your destiny and purpose that's in him. He's always doing that to us. And when he sees you begin to to stray off because he knows if you go here, then that could lead to here and you you know he sees how this could go so he's constantly in there you know trying to bring that correction move you back over move you back over you don't need and look here's the thing the older you get in the lord the more it happens i'll just say it that way and the the fewer things that you're able to get away with you think get away with them you're, you're not getting away with nothing but you know, that's how we, humans, that's how we think. You know, it's like, oh, we got away with that one. It's back to Ecclesiastes. Because the sentence is not executed quickly. The sons of men increase in their doing of evil and wickedness. If you're not careful, you'll get in that same place. So God loves us enough to just keep moving forward, pouring it on. He doesn't want us to make excuses. He wants us to work together with him. He wants us to do the spiritual disciplines that he tells us in the word of God are the things that he has set up for our humanity to be able to cause us to continue to behold his face. Remain in the fear of the Lord. Turn to him by fasting, prayer, getting in the word, fellowship, worshiping the Lord. All of these things. These aren't just what people that are involved in full-time ministry are supposed to do. This is not just, you know, what someone that's, um, you know, just has any kind of leadership role in the church is supposed to do. This is for every believer. Every single believer growing and developing in those spiritual disciplines in your life. And they will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness over time. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. I want to get this as the passage or the portion of the time this morning that I've been wanting to get to because we've sung about this and we've talked about this already this morning. So hopefully you'll see it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. The Lord speaking, it says, Only be careful for yourself and watch over your soul diligently. So that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen. And they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember. Can you say that word with me? Remember. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. That's that mountain. Mount Sinai. That I couldn't think of earlier. This is referring back to Exodus 20. Which we just read a little while ago. Remember the day you stood before the Lord, when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me, that I may hear them, hear, that I may have them, I'm sorry, have them hear my words so that 
they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Remember, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, the passage of scripture that I shared last week before the praise and worship. God is appointed in the tabernacle through David, in the tabernacle and in the tabernacle of David, those who would celebrate, which literally means to record, which literally means to remember, and those to give thanks and praise. To remember, to record, literally means to make mention of it, to be mindful of it, to build a memorial to it. So all of these things that you see all through the Old Testament are for a purpose, as we see here in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says, remember the day that you stood before the Lord. And this is what I wanted them to hear. So that they would learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. And that they would be able to teach their children. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, we see it illustrated Again, starting in verse 11, it says, When the priest came out from the holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without regard to divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Heman, Jud- Judathan, and their sons and kinsmen, clothed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, standing east of the altar with 120 priests, that is prophetically about Acts chapter 2, 120 priests blowing trumpets in unison with the trumpeters and the singers were to make themselves heard with one voice to praise and glorify the Lord. And when they had raised their voices accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other musical instruments, and when they had praised the Lord, they said, The Lord is good and His love and kindness is everlasting. We sang that this morning. For the Lord is good and his love and kindness is everlasting. Love and kindness, mercy. It literally means the goodness, the kindness of God. It also means faithfulness to the covenant. So this is what the Lord is it's doing here. This is what the Lord did all through the Old Testament. He exhorts us to do the same. And I'm going somewhere with this. I hope you can hear it. Remember how God has showed you loving kindness in your life. His goodness, His kindness, His faithfulness to His covenant. Because he is loving and merciful. And it endures forever. For all time. It says, then the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not rise to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house. So what, what was happening here? They were just proclaiming the Lord is good and his loving kindness endures forever. 
That's what the Bible says that they were saying. That's what they were singing. That's what they were praising. That's what they were releasing. Psalm 136 has it in every single verse. For the Lord did this, his love and kindness endures forever. For the Lord did this for us, his love and kindness endures forever. The Lord slew the enemy and drowned them, and his love and kindness endures forever. He's faithful to his covenant. His love and kindness into us forever. Remember, it's written. The people would, would sing it. The people would declare it. It's, a part, it's so much a part of the Old Testament. For the Lord is good and his love and kindness into us forever. His goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness to the covenant. He is always a faithful God. He will never relent on his covenant with his people. Ever. And then it says here that as they began to praise and shout and glorify the Lord in that way, that the place where they were, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud. And the priests couldn't even stand up to minister because of the cloud of glory. Because of the glory of the Lord filled the house. Oh, I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that. I have. It's nothing like it. I, I desperately want it. I desperately want it again. I want it all the time. All the time. Now let's look at a practical example. I want to just tell you the story, read you the scriptures here. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it's something that I've referred to several times and I know many of you are very familiar with. Jehoshaphat is faced with the, all of these enemies that are before him, and so he gathers the children of Israel together, and they begin to seek the Lord, and he challenges them to seek the Lord, and then they hear the word of the prophet, and then Jehoshaphat comes back, and he begins to uh, release what it is that the Lord uh, is saying and what the Lord is doing, and he exhorts the people with this, Do not be afraid of the enemy, but fear the Lord. The word afraid and the word fear are the same word in the Hebrew. Again. So what's he really saying? He's saying, fear the Lord. Be afraid of what the Lord will not be able to do for you. Because you fear and trust the enemy more and follow him. Be, a, be, fear, be afraid, be fearful, obviously in, in reverence, knowing that God is for you. He's not against you. If you will do what he says, no matter what the enemy does, don't be afraid of what he does, what he says, how he positions himself. No matter what goes on, don't pay attention to him. Don't let your face be turned where you're looking at the enemy and beholding the enemy. Let it be turned so that you are fearing the Lord. And you fear the Lord because you know what's about to happen with the enemy. And what he's going to do to the enemy. And you choose to be on his side. So doesn't that scripture make a whole lot more sense now? In the scripture related to the fear of the Lord. So we got this story going on. And I'll pick it up in 
verse 20, or somewhere. I don't know exactly where he is. But listen to this. He appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went out before the army and said. And let me back up. Jehoshaphat gets together with the people, presents this to the people, and the people agree. So the people have an understanding. Now, we're talking about the tribe of Judah. That helps. I won't go there. You can. But the reality is, is that the people see that it's a good thing. So Jehoshaphat appoints the singers and the praisers, and they are supposed to go before the army. Now, this word before is a very interesting word because it's the same word that we saw back in Exodus. Get this right. Lord, help me here. It's the same word to behold the face. In other words, that the fear of the Lord would remain on you. That it would go before you. That it would cause you to behold his face. Turn your face to him. That's the word in Hebrew. In reference to what I referred to earlier. This is the same word that's used here. That the praisers and the singers. You've got to get this picture. They were to go before the army. Okay. And he said to them. Give thanks to the Lord. Or, or, and they said. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. There it is again. What are they doing? Remembering what the Lord has done for them. They're remembering the times before that the Lord has defeated the enemy for them. And so this is what they're saying again. They're reminding themselves and they're lifting it up in praise before the Lord. And when they had begun singing and praising... The Lord set ambushes against the enemy. So this is what's happening. Jesus, help me explain this. This is what's happening. Jehoshaphat aligns the singers and the praisers together and sets them before the army. Now, armies don't just kind of casually walk. They're all in alignment they're marching together. The singers and the praisers, they're doing their thing. Out before the army. The Lord, the, ex the expression here in the scripture has it that the army is, or that the singers and praisers are before the army. In other words, the face of the army is set on the praisers and the singers. The face of the army is set to remain on the singers and the praisers that go before. Since the singers and praisers start out, now they've got a six to eight mile journey that they're about to go on. Okay, we're not talking about walking across the street over here. And we're talking about thousands of people. This is no little small task. And so we got six to eight miles that these people are going and so... What's happening is they start out, and the Bible says that they were saying, speaking, declaring out of their mouth, the Lord is good, and His loving kindness endures forever. 
Then, after a little while, as they've been marching, as they've been singing, praising the singers and praisers, the army staying focused, staying in alignment, then what happens is the singers and the praisers begin to sing and begin to praise, saying, the Lord is good and his love and kindness endures forever. They went from speaking it, just saying it, to a place of celebrating it because they started getting it. That the enemy that we're going to face, you know, we've already seen God's goodness and faithfulness to deliver us before. We're about to see it again. And it releases them into a place of celebration and praise to where the Bible says, And the Lord sets ambushes. This is the picture of Psalm 22 verse 3. The Lord is enthroned on the praises of his people. You know what that verse literally means? It means the Lord sits as judge in ambush on the praises of his people. It's right, we see it right here in this story. When they reached the point to where the praise was worthy of the enthronement of God to come, then God came and sat down on the praisers and the singers, all of them that were just going crazy. And the word literally means praise, literally means to act like a madman. So they were doing everything you can think of to praise the Lord, giving glory to Him. God comes and sets. As they're journeying, the army's focus, the Lord comes and sets, and he launches, boom, ambushes against the enemy. So what was that? That was the captain of the Lord of hosts releasing his host against the enemy. This army... Never lifted a finger. Because the praises and the worshipers built the throne for God to come and rule over the situation. Then it goes on. When Judah came to the watchtower and they looked toward the multitude and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground and no one had escaped. So this happened well before they actually got to the enemy. They never saw the enemy. They were on the way, and God did this. Then they came up over a hill or through a field or something. They saw the watchtower, and then they saw all the corpses, all the bodies. Nobody moving. We're talking thousands and thousands of people. We're talking the most ruthless, warring people of that time that had been gathered together against Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel. They purposed to take them out. You know, those that were of Mount Seir, that that region, they were actively involved in child sacrifice and occultic practices. That's what they were doing as they were going to war. And God set ambushes against them so that the children of Israel, the praises and worshipers, they saw it dead by. Now, don't you think they really started praising and worshiping then? Don't you think 
That was a serious victory then. Then it goes on. It says, And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace. Very simply, they remembered the goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness that God has shown them. And they knew that he would do it again. As they feared him. And turned their face to behold him. As they feared him more than they feared the enemy. This phrase, in remembering, the concept of remembering, it's over and over again. The Lord is good, and his loving kindness endures forever. This is the war cry of the children of Israel. It doesn't sound like a war cry, but it's the war cry of the Lord. What it does is this. It causes the people to constantly turn their face away from the enemy so that they're not fearing the enemy to be before the Lord and behold the Lord. And they realize you've done it before, now do it again. And so they exalt him and they praise him for all the good deeds and that's why the bible says over and over and over again this is the big how do i walk in the fear of the lord it's not like what a lot of people would think this is easy this is why pray god is emphasizing praise so much among us as a people right now you know this is how you do it you just Give praise to God for all the things that he is and all the things that he's done for you and all the things you know he's going to do for you. And you just keep praising him and thanking him and releasing it out of your heart. And you'll grow your lung capacity and your capability to be able to do it longer than two or three minutes. Because what happened here with this tribe of Judah is they walked for probably four or five miles Thousands of them, four or five miles. So we're talking a good three hours at least. Three hours of sustaining praise and worship to God. Acting like a madman. Doing the banners, you know, whatever and all in the world it was that they were doing. Because they were getting a revelation. And see, here's the thing. When you sustain the praise, it not only builds a throne for the Lord to come and sit on as judge to bring ambushes against the enemy in your life. It also brings a deeper revelation and understanding to the inside of you and releases your spirit to be able to understand and know that God is faithful to his covenant it will slaughter doubt and unbelief. It will get rid of every bit of fear that you've got against the enemy. Because you simply remember. You remember. That's why Jesus said, if you'll take out your communion elements, and if you don't have communion, you can just raise your hand, rock or make sure they get something to you. That's why Jesus sat with his disciples 
He's been explaining this to them. They, a good Jewish man and families, they've been practicing this. They've been remembering. They've been declaring the love and kindness of the Lord is everlasting. They've been recording. They've been recalling the things that God has done to deliver them over and over again. And Jesus sits with them for the last time in the sense of sharing a meal with them. And as a part of most meals in that culture, bread and wine was a part because it's a part of a covenant ceremony. And when the covenant ceremony is over and you're sitting together and you're eating together your meal the two families that have cut covenant. Then what you do is you take the bread and the wine as a remembrance of the covenant that has been made. So Jesus is telling his disciples, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this, take of it, in remembrance of me. Now. Don't be American in your thinking. Just like think okay. Yeah Jesus. Okay great. His body. Yeah great. He was on the cross. That's kind of where we go with it. Jesus was talking to people. Who understood covenant. Who practiced in the temple. Day in and day out. Remembering the Lord, remembering all the things, quoting the Psalms, declaring the Psalms. Most of the Jewish population knew all the Psalms by heart. They sang them all the time. It was a part of their culture. So we're constantly recalling. So when Jesus says, remember, he's striking at something in their heart. He's saying, don't fear. Everything that's about to happen. Remember. This. He's obviously explained all this to them before. They just didn't get it. They still didn't get it to the other side. This is my body, which is broken for you. I'm sure if you'll take that representation of his body. We're going to do it together. And remember, why was his body broken? It's broken so he could heal the brokenhearted. The broken places of people's lives. To be the actual covenant sacrifice that was needed to make us in a right standing with God. So instead of just taking it and thinking of Jesus, remember the broken heart place that you were in that he healed. That's why you do it. Because if you'll remember, then you'll know the love and kindness of the Lord. Endures forever. 
and you'll walk in the fear of the Lord. So, Lord, we just come before you. Your body was broken so that you might heal the brokenhearted. And, Lord, how we've been broken in so many ways. Sometimes even our own fault. But still, you've redeemed us. You've healed us. So just think back on that time, that moment. Something big, something little. So, Lord, we take this and we eat it, remembering the faithfulness that you have given to your covenant. And, Lord, we know that you shed your blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And I'm asking each one of you, don't partake of this as just for the forgiveness of your sins. Think back on just one thing that was a sin that held you captive. That he delivered you from. And it was by the power of his blood. Remember. For some of you just remember. What it was like to be born again. So, Lord, we take this remembering how the power of your shed blood has delivered us. Holy Spirit, Spirit of the fear of the Lord, would you rain down on us? As we have set ourselves apart by remembering what you've done, We've set ourselves apart into another place, in another way. May you increase, even start in some, bring revelation, understanding of the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So that we might 
live our life beholding your face, seeking you, receiving your hand of discipline when we get off track and realizing that you're doing it for our good because you love us. And you want us to make it. So Lord, we just set ourselves apart, even as a church. Lord, you know, we don't... We're pursuing ecclesia in your kingdom. And we don't have much of a pattern to go by. So let the spirit of the fear of the Lord... Lead us into it. May we always remember that the Lord is good and his love and kindness endures forever. Lord, you are good and your love and kindness endures forever. Glory to your name. We all stand together, please. One of the main things that I've learned walking with God is how desperately I need other people. I need, I need you to help me not stray and get off the track. I need you to be that challenge, that voice in my ear. I need you to correct me. Doesn't matter how old you are in the Lord. If it's the Lord, I, I've been corrected by people that are the most unsuspecting. I mean, you know. I walk away and I'm like, man, they just rebuked me. <laughs> but it's what it took from the Lord by way of discipline to cause me to turn my face away from where I was going and behold the Lord. Remembering Remember the celebrations of the Old Testament, as I've shared this morning. As they were remembering the Lord, and they were giving thanksgiving and praise to Him. See, the, these things didn't come in, in the, the same measure as times when there would be worship. What we describe as worship. There's nothing wrong with worship. You need to worship, Absolutely. But we've got an American definition of worship. You know, we need to get a biblical definition of praise and thanksgiving. Because that's when the glory came. And it will lead to a depth of worship that you've never been in before. Well, you'll be on your face afraid to look up because you don't. Because you think you might actually see Jesus standing in the room. 
That's where God wants us to be. That's where he wants to take us. And we're going there by the grace of God. Amen.